Welcome to the Second Helping Podcast. Where we chew over all things food, nutrition, and basically anything else that fits on our plate. I'm Emily Sandham, creator and owner of Good Mood Food UK. And I'm James Sandham, younger brother and evidence-based nutrition coach. Hi everyone, welcome to episode two. Thanks for tuning in again. We've decided that we are going to introduce our favourite foodie moment from each week. So provide a bit of structure to kind of what our favourite thing has been this week. So for me, for the first time since lockdown, I actually made homemade pasta. And it was really nice to get my hands dirty. And actually, it just felt way more rewarding. It just made me feel happy to take that time to do something way nicer. Yeah, no, that must have been nice after a long layout from the kitchen for you to get back in and start making your own recipes again. It was a bit of a workout, I'm not going to lie, kneading the dough. I was actually sweating. <laughs> what was, What's yours been? Uh, so I was away this weekend, so I had a, uh, a lot of buffet options and had my first summer salad. And I always like a summer salad, especially when you don't have to make it, because uh, normally I find it quite a bit of faff. Having some beetroot with some mint, with some raisins, and just all done for you with some like kale and parmesan. And that was really nice. Um, so actually just having some like healthy food that was all done for you. And with the weather as well, it was just, it was just nice. Yeah, sounds very fresh. But yeah, I'm excited to also start having summer salads outside and the warm evenings, hopefully. So for this episode, pleasure versus purpose. And what does that mean in relation to food? So we're first going to talk about kind of what that means to us. And then James, what are we talking about next? The rise of social media and the rise of food porn and how that impacted choices among many consumers and how that's impact health. There's some interesting research on it. So we thought we'd shed some light on that. And then I think we're going to take a bit of a deep dive on the big debate about calories on menus. I know this has been like a really hot topic. Everyone kind of has a different perspective on it, but there's kind of two main parties in terms of like the sides of the debate, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, what that means and what our thoughts are on it. What does pleasure versus purpose mean to you? I've definitely been on a journey where I've often eaten just for purpose and then I've eaten just for pleasure. And like a lot of the time that depends on my mood. You know, I'm one of those people that if I've had a shit day, I probably will say, oh, well, I've had a shit day. So I have some ice cream. And that's a really high end of that pleasure spectrum. But I think a lot of the time I try and aim for a balance of both. So I want something that I really like eating, but also I know is really giving my body that nutrition and it's balanced diet. It's got a variety of different vitamins and minerals in there. I've also been at the other spectrum where I've eaten, you know, in terms of purpose, I think that's either around a goal, a specific goal, whether that's weight loss or muscle gain. But then I think purpose to other people could potentially mean like literally the purpose of sustaining yourself. So eating just to fuel your body because that's what it needs to do what it does. So I think I've definitely been on a journey with both of them. I've tried to get a good balance. But again, I think like everyone else, it depends on your mood, your mental well-being at the time, how busy you are, stressed, all those kinds of things I think it varies like day-to-day meal to meal I've kind of got to a place for myself where I try and get the balance right but then at the same time you know I won't feel guilty for eating a pizza out knowing that there wasn't much purpose other than giving me pleasure in having that meal yeah no I think you definitely because you're such a good cook you're very lucky to have such nice meals every day that do serve purpose for your health as well your recipes are healthy and they're well constructed but they also taste really nice that there is definitely an overlap yeah what does it mean to you in terms of that kind of debate I think it's interesting like I never used to have a a goal when it came to food when I was a kid I used to just eat whatever was given to me or whatever I chose in that moment I never really thought too much about it and then obviously when I went through my weight loss stage and everything was just 
full on just it had a purpose and i mean when you eat two chicken salads a day for a year that there was no pleasure there i lost all pleasure for food but now i would say i'm still 80 percent purpose and 20% pleasure, I would say, that the old 80-20 Pareto rule. But I find my, what I'm going to call my purpose food, pleasurable. It's not just a chicken salad or anything like that. I mean, I have a huge dietary variety, but it's selected for a goal in mind. Because I think even now, even if I'm not dieting, I either have a goal of gaining weight or maintaining weight or or if I am dieting losing weight so I mean it it, I always have a goal in mind and therefore I always have 80% of my nutrition will be focused towards that goal Um, but that doesn't mean it comes at the sacrifice of pleasure yeah I think what you were saying about your chicken salad days I think with purpose a lot of people are uneducated around that I think you know we don't get taught about it really at school in the sense of like you were eating a chicken salad to lose weight but actually if you know the knowledge of what you had now and that you'd actually probably be fueling your body with more nutritional things but still kind of you know featuring an exercise and things like that so I think when people talk about purpose they can often go to like the extremes because they actually are not really sure how to get to their goal, you know, what their purpose is. They try and, you know, whether they've heard something on the internet or seen that a later celebrity is doing this fad diet where they're only drinking grapefruit juice or whatever, then they kind of adapt that. And I think we kind of touched upon that last week where people think that it's like one rule for everyone. Yeah, the only thing I would say on it, when you do go that extreme, which I would never suggest to anyone now, And looking back, I mean, it it changed my life massively for the worse, but there is some pleasure in knowing what you're doing is working for that goal. Like you kind of almost take pleasure in the fact that you know, you know, you're headed in the right direction, which is weird despite not enjoying the food. Um, it's, there is some pleasure still technically involved. It's still not just a purpose thing. Yeah. I think that like what you said about even when you're purpose eating, you're still getting pleasure from it. Like I'm saying, you know, I love a salad and things like that. But if I was having, for example, a healthy like protein shake I wouldn't usually shy away from adding a tiny bit more peanut butter or a bit of you know maple syrup or something just so that it gave me a tiny bit more of that I really enjoyed it if that makes sense I'd rather have a bit of something that's potentially a bit too sweet or something that isn't considered totally healthy to make that experience more enjoyable yeah there are other people and i've definitely fallen into this camp too that going the other way is almost harder in terms of eating more hedonically rewarding foods so foods that we find like highly palatable and nice i remember when the first time i tried to gain weight and it was almost harder to eat the pizza and stuff because i because i had a really dysfunctional relationship with food because i Mm. like i was just feeling like I was going away from a goal, despite my goal being to gain weight, it just didn't feel quite right. And I felt almost not out of control, but it's definitely a harder thing to monitor almost when you purposely try and flip it the other way. I think everyone gets that like, you know, I'll go out for a pizza or something and I love eating it. And then afterwards I'm like, oh, you know, I feel a bit full or I know gluten doesn't sit too well. But at the same time, I don't regret it, but there is not all the time, but sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I haven't had the most healthy week and I probably didn't have, you know, I had a bowl of pasta for lunch or something. So it wasn't the best thing to do. So you take that pleasure moment and then start feeling guilty for it. And I think we'll touch upon that in terms of like the calorie debate on menus, because I think that's where a lot of that decision making process could end up making you feel guilty before you've even eaten the food. Yeah, like you say, it's harder sometimes to eat on the pleasure spectrum and it's sometimes harder to eat on the purpose one. So finding kind of a right balance. Is that what you'd recommend to your clients? 
Yeah, I mean, I think for, for most of my clients, they can lose weight without doing anything unbelievably restrictive. Only people that need to take all hedonic foods out of their diet are the people that are trying to get exceptionally lean full stage. And like that is that is a dieting strategy is to make food less palatable. So have oats without any topping, no fruit, no nothing, because it's so plain and so boring, you're less likely to eat it. So have rice without sauces, have everything so plain, because then you crave less of it because you're already very hungry but then on that we don't understand these pathways well enough but there is more overlap of pleasure and purpose than we think i dug into a few studies in preparation for this and i found this study that needed to probably explain it to the listeners a little bit first but protein is pretty much the most important macronutrient out of the three because we can choose the amount of fat and carbohydrates we have in our diet up to individual preferences really for most people but protein i mean is something that we all need we all need a certain amount of um otherwise we're going to start losing muscle mass and and we won't have like enough red blood cells and hemoglobin like it regulates so many things in our body it's like the one thing that kind of remains stable during a diet but when i dieted properly and i had no idea what i was doing naturally i just kept protein in, in my diet then i was literally like i'll have lettuce so it was literally lettuce and protein, but I was never like, well, just leave the protein out, which it would have been completely silly. But I did find a study on protein restriction, which I thought was really interesting. So they got two groups of people and they fed one, a normal diet, both calorie controlled. So they were both in calorie deficit. And one of the groups had a lack of protein in their diet, like really low levels of protein for, I think it was about a week. And afterwards, they then put them on ad libitum feeding studies. They could choose what what they wanted. There was buffet, whatever. They could choose as much or or as little as they wanted. And all the people in the low protein group ended up feeding themselves way more protein afterwards to make up for that decrease that they'd had. So their hedonic reward pathways, what they were naturally wanting to choose, was more protein, which was all regulated by by their body which i found really interesting but on the flip side to that we also have something called like sensory specific society which you know how when we all have a bit of room for dessert after after a big meal um it's a completely different pathway and therefore you can be stuffed on pizza but as soon as you see the sticky toffee on the menu you might have a little bit more room because that that on the other hand is i would say is probably more more pleasure and it's just a pathway we have but we also have the pathways that try to keep us in homeostasis as much as possible i think we don't credit our bodies enough for how much we are kind of regulated without knowing it yeah i say all the time we never like listen to our body if you actually took a second you know when you're sitting there eating and, you know, you're either in conversation or you're thinking about stuff or you're watching TV or whatever it is, you're not actually listening to your body. You tend to finish whatever's on the plate because it's there instead of listening. And if you took a step back and you actually thought, right, how am I actually feeling? Is my stomach full? Am I We probably eat as a nation much less, but also we just be in tune with our body. I remember when I kind of went in for tests to see if I was allergic to anything, it was kind of listening to those bodies and, you know, making a note of, oh, actually I had that. And a few hours later, it made you know me feel a bit bloated. But I think people are so busy in their day-to-day lives that they probably just think, oh, I'm a bit tired because of you know, this happened at work or whatever it is. We really need to take the time to listen to what our bodies are telling us because think 
how many functions they do every single day with every single meal, with every single breath, and everyone was in tune with their bodies more, we'd be able to live much healthier lives and we'd probably just feel better within ourselves. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Did you want to introduce the concept of food bonks? I know you've done a bit of diving around that and how that's actually impacted eating behaviours. Yeah, I found quite a recent paper that looked at the movement of social eating and how during lockdown and when we, we were restricted from eating out, the rise of food porn, it really took off in those years. And it was just in, in considering that's where your influencer base is, is the rise of food photography. Uh, how does that impact healthy eating behavior? Because we know we are heavily influenced by what we see. Our food cues are heavily based on what we see. And when we talk in, like in obesity research, I mean, that's one of the reasons in an obesogenic environment is what it's called. Like walk past a Greg's every time, leave the house these days, how that impacts food choice but I'd like your take on it yeah no I definitely understand what you mean in terms of the rise in the aesthetics and it tends to be with food that is you know less good for us if you look at places like food bible I've seen lots of my friends that are featured on there and it's usually you know like massive burgers or toasty stacks or french toast and I noticed it in my own profile obviously I started out the account with it being quite healthy quite like nutritious lead you know quite cheap and then over lockdown you know I was experimenting with things that were less healthy french toast big cheesy sandwiches and they're the ones that actually got more likes more share you know way more engagement which is interesting because I thought that people were looking for, you know, those healthier options and maybe they are and they come back and use those recipes, but the ones that are more visually aesthetic and more like, oh my God, I want to stick my face in that is the ones that tend to have, yeah, your melted cheese and probably foods that are more calorific. So I think from a food photography perspective, that's where it's quite tricky as like a recipe developer while I want to stick with the healthier angle and food that I eat. I mean, I do eat very unhealthy foods at times too. But I think it's having those choices when you're eating out. If you've seen it on the restaurant's Instagram or you've seen, you know, an influencer eating there, seeing those like pictures and having that anticipation of taking those pictures to put them on your own social media, you tend to choose the unhealthy option because the French toast will photograph much better than breakfast salad or whatever it is. Mm, yeah if I was heading out to eat and I'd seen you'd just cooked a burger or whatever and it's top of my feed like that dopamine hit that you get it makes it much more likely that when I go out to eat and see the burger or on the menu I'm going to choose that but therefore do you think there's some sort of responsibility for maybe food influencers going forward portray healthier options like we have fitness influencers that are now starting to change and say yes like all of this has been edited I don't look like this 365 days a year do you think there could be a role for food influencers within helping the obesity crisis yeah it's a really interesting point and I probably never actually thought about it but I think it's really tricky because if there's an account that's dedicated to smokehouse foodie accounts where all about beef brisket or burgers or kind of, you know, like the, the considered like dirty food. I always think the responsibility is with the person that's seeing it, making it themselves, eating it. I don't think it's with the influencer, but there is definitely a point where I believe there should be, whether it's the government or Instagram themselves or someone that steps in, because I think a lot of people aren't, I don't want to say educated, but, you know, would potentially see that and think, right, I'll make that for breakfast, lunch and dinner, or don't have the knowledge around actually what what's in that burger and how if you eat it more than the average amount, it might not be the best for you. 
So a lot of people are like, well, that's common sense. But if you don't know too much around what's in it, what it's going to do to your body, if you're not burning it off, if you don't live that really balanced lifestyle, then maybe where there needs to be someone that steps in. But I think it starts with like an educational piece. But what's your perspective on it? To be honest, I was playing devil's advocate. I don't actually think it's, it's up, up for the influencers to, to sort out. But I do think of maybe the 16-year-old that maybe has their own money and they're just constantly exposed mm. to brownies, cakes, like everything one day. And if they're just then naturally going out every time they go to the shop, they're like, oh, I could have a cake or I could have this. Just each time they're going, oh yeah, like a pan of raisin. Or like they're just getting another tub of ice cream because they've kind of seen it and it's kind of creating that demand. It was just a, an interesting thing that would just kind of flash through my head. To be fair, it might come to the point, like you say with, you know, reality stars and they now have to say that it's an ad and they have to say that then they start posting that this is not what I look like 24-7. But I mean, most content out there has been edited. It is so it makes it look better, right? So then you have that demand for it. Yeah. I don't think it would change eating behaviors where I think if someone saw a picture of a female or male, you know, with abs and tone, then someone might think I need to do that. Like, for example, the whole thing with Kim Kardashian at the Met Gala, she then said she didn't eat carbs or sugar for three weeks to get into that dress. There'll be so many people thinking, I'll just do that. I think that's where it's really dangerous, where it's almost like you can control. You're controlling action. Just to tell the listeners out there that while you would drop weight pretty quickly doing exactly what she did in terms of cutting carbs and cutting sugar. The majority of that weight drop would actually be water, not fat, just because carbohydrates hold on to water in a three to one ratio. So with every gram of carbohydrate you eat, your body usually takes in about three grams of water. And therefore, when you cut carbs completely from your diet, you tend to have that massive decrease in water weight initially. And that's why you'd see such a dramatic weight loss pretty quickly. I read an article to do with the calorie debate. And this woman was saying when she grew up, her diet was beige. It was pizzas, instant mash, vanilla milkshakes. And then she moved to uni. It was like pizza, mash, and then like strongbow. But she was saying that like she never really knew what a balanced diet looked like, whether that was her parents and what they ate growing up. So that's kind of all she knew. But then you can imagine someone has seen things on her feed that then she just carried on eating that. But it basically it turns out that she really went quite unwell and high blood sugar and diabetes ran in her family. So when it came to almost like the calorie debate, she thinks it's a good idea. She thinks it's a good starting point. It's definitely not enough. But she said, although it's not the level of information that she needs, it might help some people who don't have that understanding of what a balanced diet looks like to make a better health choice in that environment, whether you're in McDonald's or in Nando's. Mm. I think the only danger with it is kids are going to be exposed to these figures too. And I think we should be educating children about food, but not about calories. Your perspective on this would be hugely important because I know from like a calorie perspective is a number and if you take the calories of an avocado versus one sweet, an avocado will look way more calorific, but it's like the good fats where the other ones like processed sugars. So I think if you take those numbers in isolation without any context and without any knowledge of that, then that's where it could be really dangerous. In another article I read, someone said, you know, they might choose a glass of wine and a cookie versus a really nutritious salad that's got hummus, avocado, whether it's got, you know, like some sort of nut butter on it that would seem at that point blank perspective that it's way more calorific and therefore someone move over. And if they think I've only got that limit of calories, I'll just have the glass of wine. And that's where I think it can be really, really dangerous. Yeah, you're 100% correct. 
I mean, a calorie is a calorie at the end of the day. It is just a unit of energy. And it's the amount of energy needed to heat one gram of water by one degree Celsius. But yeah, in the avocado in your situation does contain more nutrients, e.g. the fats you were talking about and the impact that that can have on our appetite hormones and it can help us lower cholesterol and loads of other functions within the body, whereby the wine or cookie has less of these nutrients. However, that doesn't mean that when the time is right, going going to leave out the avocado because you know that you're going to want the glass of wine or the extra glass of wine, whatever it is, um, is wrong because calorie matched people should be informed to make that choice. So if you know that you're doing that because you're having the other one, I think context is really key. But if we're talking from a purely health purpose perspective, then yes, calories aren't necessarily the be all and end all. I saw calories on menus for the first time this weekend and I mean I knew it was coming into play I guess a lot of people didn't and for those that don't know now any food provider that employs more than 250 people have to by law show how many calories are within each food item they sell. I know supermarkets they're allowed 20% either way so it's not always 100% accurate just before people get start getting really neurotic about it I imagine that's the same for restaurants but yeah I thought it was really interesting because for me 2 years ago anorexic James that would have been his wet dream I felt so restricted not feeling like I could go out to eat and it was one of the things that I really missed but having it there at the time it would have been up to me to make the educated decision However, now on the pleasure versus purpose thing, when I go out to eat, that was the time that I really ate for pleasure. So I, I like I, I always say to my clients, like you shouldn't be eating in front of the TV because you're taking something out of the food experience. You should be really there enjoying it. And when I go out to eat, that's probably the only time that I ever actually really indulge in the whole food experience. Like I don't have my phone there. I'm away from all the distractions because I'm there to really enjoy the meal and enjoy the company of the people I'm with. It, it wasn't disheartening to actually see it, but I was a bit like, ah. Oh. I think a lot of people that have tried really hard, whether they've had an eating disorder or whatever it is, and they've tried really hard to get to that place to really start enjoying food again. I think it could be a massive trigger point when they go back into a restaurant and see oh, actually, I was going to have that, but now I'll just have that. It could be not a turning point, but I think for people that actually don't need to worry about too much of like calorie counting, for those people, I think it could then turn around and say, oh, they, they, they will make a different choice based on it, where actually it's designed for potentially the people that don't understand how many calories are in a meal. But if they were going, if the government were going to put numbers on things, it would be better to put on sugars, saturated fats, salts, because calorie counting isn't the definition of how to have a healthier diet. Yeah, you're 100% right. Calorie counting isn't the definition of a healthy diet. I mean, it has been brought in to educate, but I feel that intervening here can ruin the pleasure of the experience. I think you and I both agree that more people should be educated in part about calories, however that occurs. But I think... It's currently a shame to just bring it in now straight off the bat where most people have no idea and it has the potential to impact the food experience for many people. What I think what we were talking about before we came on 
was while some people should probably have a basic understanding of what the calories in some foods are when they eat out while some are astronomically high and it is good to know like it doesn't mean you shouldn't have them but just to kind of know that so you're not ordering it 10 times a week is a good choice but i think it's going to change it from the top down it's like with the sugar tax when they put that on fizzy drinks and they increase the price of fizzy drinks by 20p, that doesn't really change much at the consumer level. Like if you're going to choose a Coke, you're still going to choose a Coke over a Diet Coke, despite it being 20p more. But yeah, the people that did start to reduce it and just the awareness of it, it made Coke lower how much sugar was in that actual full sugar Coke so that it agreed with the guidelines they weren't getting charged as much so it actually started at an industry level because i mean i remember when in my first year at uni i ordered i think it was called the empire state burger from weatherspoons and people can still look this up but i remember clocking it then and i didn't really know what calories were but it was 2200 or something calories for a meal that is ludicrous like that's I mean, right now, like if I go on a 5k run at my body weight now, and then like I'm just at home for the rest of the day, I don't burn that amount of energy in that time. So I mean, like that that just doesn't need to be 2,200 calories. So like it's on them to reduce it. This is what I was saying. So for people that don't know, this calorie labeling was introduced in the US in 2018. And while a lot of people expected places like McDonald's, for example, would make the Big Mac healthier to reduce those calorie numbers so they didn't seem so extreme. What they actually did was added more healthier options to the menu, which obviously is great for them, for the people that wanted, you know, still like a fast, cheap meal. They went in and chose something else. But I think what McDonald's realized, if people were still in the market for a Big Mac, then they'd go and have it anyway. It's a really tricky and it's a hugely complex matter. But I think things where I was talking about education, I think the government need to make a better effort to let people know where exercise locations are. They need to support in kind of mental health areas and their relationships yeah. with food, reducing the stigma kind of attached to eating disorders, obesity. You know, it needs to start from an earlier period in our lives where we're not learning about this later and kind of relying on some sort of knowledge to do with calories on food we need to understand what's in our food what do our bodies thrive on you know how food fuels our body people always say you should treat your body like you treat a really expensive car you'd only put the best fuel in it but I just don't think calorie numbers is the way to go about it although it potentially could be a step in the right direction but what I was so shocked to know is that Public Health England did a survey and apparently 80% of people are pleased with the idea of having calories on menus and Diabetes UK found that 60% of people would be more likely to eat somewhere with calorie labelling on there, which blew my mind because a lot of people I know have been saying it's not the right way to go about it. It might be a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think a lot of people that have had eating disorders in the past or still do, I think it will trigger those more but are they in more of the minority i would have liked to see it like come into play online sort of thing so like you have we can we can access online menus yeah or, yeah. or a place to have a calorie shown menu and a non-calorie shown menu and you get the option when you go they have that. i saw someone asked for a menu and they basically had one that didn't have the calories on so i think you can ask for one without i think where you give them the option for example it's not in restaurants and you can look at it online I think that's where it's more triggering for people that really care about it. The idea of this is that it's meant to help people make the healthier option who wouldn't 
necessarily know what that was or care about it. So I think it's the people that potentially might be make more unhealthy choices and it might just give them more awareness. But I can see the damage, the potential damage and the damage that it will do to people that have harder relationships with food. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't know whether this is just my mindset with it now, but I think when we're like, I have a lot of clients that say, oh, we're getting curry this week on a Friday. So what do I have? And I go, honestly, it's one day. Have, Have what you want. Like it's one meal. Unless you order four things of rice, seven naans, two, like if you really want to be strict, maybe don't order the creamy one, like have a tomato based curry. But as long as you're enjoying it, I think when we go out to eat or we order a takeaway, they shouldn't be everyday moments. They shouldn't be like, we shouldn't be doing that every single meal because these things are more calorie dense. But then when you do have them, you should be there to enjoy it and you should be having what you want. And therefore, I don't want people to lose that. That, And that's why I always tell my clients, I'm like, yes, there are some things you can do when you eat out that will help you reduce calories. There are tips and I'm not going to share on here. But I mean, I wouldn't even use those unless I was dieting specifically for something. And we're just eating out because it's someone's birthday, but I'm happy to do it anyway. But I mean, for most people going out to eat once a week or getting a takeaway once a week, that should be a highlight of the week. They shouldn't be there fretting. No, I totally agree. I think where this motion and concept will come in is a lot of people, you saying one meal out, you know, once a week, I think a lot of people, because it's cheap and quick, have it more than once a week, whether that's their circumstances or just their current choices. A lot of people on average, I I read somewhere that they have three takeaways a week across Mm. the UK. That blows my mind. If they're getting that from Tony's Chippy or whatever down the road, he doesn't employ 250 people. So they still don't, they still don't know what's in their food, technically. True. But if, it, if they're going to places like KFC when they're out shopping and then, you know, Mackie's on the way home, I think that is where it could be useful. However... But you have just named two that have already had those in place. <laughs> I mean, uh, but I get your point. Oh, yeah. But my, my, my other point is, do people actually... I don't know how many people know how many calories their body needs. I mean, it's, it's completely individual. Like I can't tell anyone random that just walks up to me in the street. Like I couldn't even tell you unless like we had a conversation about it and figured it out. But I mean, people take this arbitrary 2000, 2500 from government guidelines. I remember I did like, and so I'm not blaming people, but I mean, my current calorie requirements of like not considering like how much I exercise but like just me if I was just lying in bed or just pottering around the house all day I've got like the calorie requirements of a a woman as small as I am like roughly I need to eat like 1700 quite literally me done somebody else though they might need way more than that other people might need way less but we take this arbitrary 2000 2500 do people actually know what those values in front of them are actually going to mean for them because I, I think without that bit of information, it is almost completely pointless. But like linking back to pleasure versus purpose, you knowing how many calories probably on average you need a day, but you'll also know from your eating how many calories you have put in your body that day. Like I will finish today and I will have no concept of how many calories I've eaten. I know I will have eaten well and I know I've got five, six, seven fruit and veg in a day. But I, honest to God, I would have no record. I'd be probably like a thousand out if I was guessing. I have no idea. And so a lot of people just like their mindsets, their relationships with food, how they view food are so, so different. So using the calorie control mechanism, 
like you say, it's just so arbitrary because some people don't count calories. Some people don't even know what calories are. Some people just count fats and sugars. Some people don't count anything. It's just a really tricky one to even like start navigating, I think. Yeah. And that's almost the frustrating thing is if you don't know, I mean, you can always choose the lower over the higher option. Yes. But I mean, roughly, what should we be looking at when when eating out i mean it, it completely depends on the person chances are no one needs the 2500 <laughs> burger to, to sustain themselves in terms of, i'm not saying you don't need it or you don't like it in terms of what that for most people is going to take them way over their daily budget if they were trying to hit their maintenance and maintain their weight but i mean it's so highly individual that people almost don't know what what they should be choosing out of the options, I guess, if they were doing it based on calories. But I think that's where I'm saying, you know, education, where there's potentially like a bigger breakdown or just understanding what foods are healthier, what, what, how they fuel you, all those kind of things might help people make those choices and might help people understand that that arbitrary figure of 2,500 or 2,000 will help them in the future. Because even though I don't have any concept of calories in that sense, I still have a, I'd like to think I have a relatively good concept of what's healthy, what fuels my body. And I've tried really hard over the years to listen to my body and know what makes me feel good after. And like what helps me if I want to play a netball game or whatever it is, I know what I need to have the energy to be able to do that. Where I think a lot of people struggle with that, just they have to really educate themselves. And that's obviously a lot of effort and a lot of people just wouldn't do that. No, but that's why I think when you go out to eat, I don't think for me going out to eat, as I said, it's like one of the times I actually practice what what I preach a lot of the time in terms of mindful eating. And it's what you're saying about actually listening to your body. It's like more often than not, when I go out to eat, it's the only time I probably will not finish what's in front of me. When I'm at home, I will just finish everything on my plate because it's there. Like I and again it's, it's something that i t- tell my clients it's like no try and listen to your body like all the time and stuff don't watch tv from when i'm at home because i know it's literally serving your purpose i know exactly what i need i i do just throw those tools out the window but when i go out to eat i will sit there and i will listen to my body and go am i actually hungry like is the next bite gonna taste as good as the last one did because if it doesn't and i'm actually fully satisfied already I don't necessarily need that extra bite. Do I want it? I want to finish on like the highest possible experience with that food if I really enjoy it. So I listen to my body more like that instead of going, oh, well, I've chosen the the 600 calorie Jalfrezi instead of the 1,200 calorie Korma so I can finish all of it. Because if I actually wanted the Korma, I might have ate, ate 600 calories worth of Korma instead of 1,200 if I didn't know, do you know? And that's what I think that should be more the educational side I think that's where it should come in and helping people actually still when you go out order what you want but sit there and really enjoy it and like savor in the moment because unless you're eating out every day then you you probably don't need to worry about what that one that one feeding yeah. period is yeah. going to do to you because it's, it's, it's going to have minimal impact if you're getting the other things right and then if you need help getting the other things right and it is and it is up to each individual person to either get help to get educated or to go out and start trying to educate themselves. Yeah, exactly. Like this is what the woman was saying who basically had like a beige diet. She was like, right, I actually decided that I needed to invest my time into looking into what is healthy, what my body needs. But she was like, if I didn't do that, I'd still be on that same path. I'd probably have diabetes like the rest of my family. So I think those people that take it upon themselves to to do that research that's amazing but why wouldn't why wouldn't that be part of like the school curriculum same as like 
almost the concept of, you know, mindful eating and things like that to help prevent these issues further down the line when people reflect on what they're eating and think, you know, I've literally just eaten beige food for the last week. There's a deeper responsibility to whether it is the government. I, I'm not I'm not sure where it stands, but somewhere along the line, that, that educational piece. There isn't one answer. That's why it's such a complex issue. And I think that's why we need to teach people the tools to give them that knowledge of like listening to themselves because each individual is so different. And so if they have the tools themselves, they'll be able to make more informed decisions and live a much happier and healthier life. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think it, yeah, it is so highly individual. If you need help starting to figure stuff out, then, then search for it because honestly, if you've always struggled with your weight and maybe calories on menus might be the starting point for you, I think getting help, it, it may change your life. I don't say that almost lightly, like, but being able to understand how to make food work for you, mm. if you've never been able to do it before, is, is really important. In our next episode, we will be talking about what is health, what is healthy eating, what is a healthy lifestyle, what e- what does healthy even mean, how can you categorize healthy and unhealthy, living choices, exercise. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Bon appetit. See you next week.